Well, good morning. We have spent uh, several weeks now in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So this chapter in the Bible that's come to be known as uh, the the great hall of, of faith, as some refer to it, it includes 16 people called out by name. It mentions the prophets kind of a, in, in a grouping uh, as it comes through them. Three events, you have uh, the creation, the crossing of the Red Sea, and of course the, the walls of Jericho falling down that are mentioned. And most recently, we've been focusing on some specific names that the author uh, brings to our attention in verse 32 and why they were held up as these examples of, of what it is to live by faith. And I wouldn't say that they were heroes in the sense that they're extraordinary people, but they were people who lived with extraordinary faith or exhibited extraordinary faith. And the common uh, thing tying them all together with others that are mentioned in this chapter has been that they all heard some particular promise of God and they lived their life trusting in and believing that that promise was going to come true, even if they didn't see it happen in their lifetime. Because in God's perfect time, God proved Himself to be faithful to every promise that He has made. And so that they, these examples illustrate what we find back up in verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Faith is the substance, it's the evidence. Faith is what carries us when our eyes can't see what it is that we are believing. And these examples prove the principle that we find in verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For the one who approaches God must believe that first He exists. Why else would you approach God if you did not believe He exists? And that He rewards those who diligently seek Him, or those who seek after Him. And this diligent searching for the ways of God is how I've kind of defined this, this, this topic, living by faith, throughout this study. And faith is not an event. Faith is not something you can, you can circle on a calendar. Faith is a continual movement forward. Faith is progression. Faith is movement. It's a journey from the cross to the glittering crown, as we sing in a, in a good old song. And in that journey... Sometimes there are high points. There are tremendous highs. There are times when it can, how can it get any better than this times when we're walking by faith? And there are challenging times. There are times when the, when the valley of fog, we lose our bearings and we wonder, are we ever going to find our way out? Times of confusion, times of discouragement, even times of doubt as we are living by faith. And although we have this overall growth as we live day by day by faith, at any given time, you could take a snapshot of our life and you could find us either at the peak of the, the, the mountaintop or you could find us in the, in the basement of the valley, depending on the time of our life. But it's practical faith. It's walking by faith day by day, frame by frame, moving forward along this twisted path of life that we find ourselves on. And I think this is what the author of Hebrews is positioning us for. It's a faith that is solid even though the path of life is fluid. And so the challenge of faith is independent of our position of faith. And so James says in James chapter 1 and verse 2, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect effect or complete effect, so that you will be perfect, and complete, not deficient in anything. And so a life of faith is a life of endurance. It's a life of, of pressing on with confidence and assurance 
in the promises of God. And so Samuel, the, the, the fellow we come to today in our chapter 11 here, Samuel lived a life of endurance. Now, did Samuel have faith at his birth? Well, of course not. Of course he didn't. But his mother, Hannah, did. And surely she did. And it would seem that his father did also. And so Samuel's dad had two wives, had Hannah. And Hannah was that wife, that one, the one who was barren, the one who could not have children. And likely she was Elkanah's first wife. And when he realized that she could not bear children, he went out and found another wife to bear children. Now, this wasn't right. And it was not God's plan. But nevertheless, it was also not uncommon. And so remember, Scripture tells us that, that this time period of, of, of the judges, as we're moving through here with, with Samuel, moving into Samuel, this is a time when everyone did what was right according to their eyes. What they thought was right is what they were doing against God's intention. Not much different than today, right? And some had multiple wives. And so Penina was the fertile wife. And she was cruel to Hannah because Hannah was barren. And so Hannah would go to the tabernacle and she would weep to God. And on one particular visit in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, she made a vow. Hannah makes a vow and she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will look with compassion on the suffering of your female servant, remembering me and not forgetting your servant and give a male child to your servant, then I will dedicate him to the Lord all the days of his life. His hair will never be cut. And we've heard this before, the Nazarite vow, the hair not being cut, a sign, an outward sign of this devotion to this life to God. And so Eli, who was the high priest during this time, he's got a whole lot of issues. I mean, a whole lot of issues. And he sees Hannah and he hears Hannah and he tells her in verse 17, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. And so Eli is the high priest. But he's got a messed up family. And although Eli was high priest, he was still looked upon as being part of the corruption of the time. He was part of the problem of the time. But nevertheless, Hannah considered that she had just received affirmation from the high priest himself. So his position is what she had faith in and knew that he was connected to God through his position. So she went away believing that God would surely give her what she had asked. And guess what? We don't have to guess. We know. He did it, right? God did it. And so Samuel may not have had faith at the time of his birth, but his mother, and to some degree his father, certainly did. And so Hannah delivers Samuel to Eli, the high priest, to be raised in service to the God of Israel. Now, if you remember back when we were looking at Moses, you remember how long Moses' mother nursed him before she turned him over to, to Pharaoh's daughter. It was about three years, right? About the common time when you would wean a child in those days. About three years. And then she delivered him to, to Pharaoh's palace. So three years she had him teaching and influencing and reminding and pointing him to God. This God of life. God, Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites. And so Moses might not have had any choice about the environment that he grew up in. But he did have a choice as to his loyalty, where he was going to place that. And so now we have, after three years, Hannah delivers Samuel to Eli. Eli, who was not only a bad example of spiritual leadership... 
for the people of Israel as, as high priest. But his sons are completely off the rails. His son, even his whole family's corrupt. His sons were serving as priests, but they were sexually immoral and materialistically greedy. So here's the example of this guy. And they took advantage of the people. And so Hannah had to trust God when she delivered her little boy up into this environment. And just like Moses, Scripture tells us that Samuel grew and he had a choice. Just like Moses, Samuel had a choice. You heard the phrase that that he or she is a product of their environment. Heard that before? Well, while someone's family or their friends or their associations are strong influences in their life, you can look back and think about the strong influences that you've had in your life. While others are strong influences, the product of your life is your choice. It's my choice. Moses made a choice to follow God. And Samuel's going to make a choice also. And so you may be strongly affected by elements of your life, but your faith is not bound by them. You have a choice. And so that's why we can read in, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. And so God had had enough of what he could see in Eli and his sons, and it was time to awaken Samuel's faith, and, and as the future of God's people now was mired in this uncertainty. But see, it's in the fog of uncertainty where the light of God's promises shine the brightest. And so 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11, we read, The Lord says to Samuel, Look, I am about to do something in Israel. When anyone hears about it, both of his ears will tingle. We'd say, I'm about to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And so on that day, I would carry out against Eli everything that I spoke about his house from start to finish. And so you should tell him that I'm about to judge his house forever because of the sin that he knew about. These are his sons that he just let happen and didn't stop the the corruption that was going on. For his sons were cursing God and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I swore an oath to the house of Eli. The sin of the house of Eli can never be forgiven by sacrifice or by grain offering. And so God spoke these words to Samuel. And in the morning, Eli wanted to know, hey, what did God say? (laughs) Was he talking about me? And so naturally, Samuel would be a little bit hesitant, a little bit afraid to tell him. But he did tell him. And here's Eli's response. Verse 18. So Samuel told him everything. He did not hold back anything from him. And Eli said, "Nah, the Lord's going to do what he pleases. Lord's going to he's going to do what he's going to do. That's kind of the attitude here. Eli did not seem to respond to the warning of God with much enthusiasm or with much repentance. It's just kind of like, yeah, what's going to happen is going to happen a whole lot different than what we saw from David's response after God judged his sin with Bathsheba, right? As David broke down and weeping and repentance. And so Eli seems unfazed. But perhaps it all had a tremendous impact on Samuel. And so we're told in verse 19, Samuel continued to grow and the Lord was with him. None of the prophecies fell to the ground unfulfilled. And so it would seem that this was a turning point for the people of Israel too. Because then it goes on to say all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba realized that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord again appeared in Shiloh, for it was in Shiloh that the Lord had revealed himself to Samuel through the word of the Lord. And so in time, the, the priesthood of Eli and, and, and the, the life of his two wicked sons was brought to a terrible end. It was, it was done just as God said. 
And no doubt Samuel grew up with faith in the promises of God towards him and those that he had been been given to his mother. He knew what had been promised to his mom also. But here's where we find faith put to the test. There's a saying so true that anyone can hold the helm. Anyone can steer the ship when the sea is calm. You can put anyone up there. We used to we'd go to uh, uh, Branson, and this was back before the terrible incident, but I remember a time when the, the captain of the, the duck boat would let the kids come up and, and drive the boat. Anybody can do it. Even a three-year-old can do it when the sea is calm. But we can fall into the trap of thinking, yeah, I can handle this life. I got this. When the sea is calm, we're like, I got this. Ain't no big deal. But the real test comes when the wind is gale and when the waters are choppy and when the shore is out of sight. And see, in the confines of the tabernacle duties, it would be easy for Samuel to just go through the motions like Eli had. I'm just going to sit back here in tabernacle duties and just kind of go about, you know, checking boxes and and doing what's supposed to be done and let, let the people run amok. Let them do what they do. Living by faith is not life apart from or life ignorant to the struggles of being human. It's not. Living by faith is accepting the struggles of being human with the attitude that there is a God who knows our struggles. There's a God who cares about our struggles. There's a God who provides a rest from our struggles today through the comfort of His Spirit and the hope of eternal rest beyond this life tomorrow. And so Samuel could have holed up. He could have sailed his life, the, the, the ship of his life, through calm waters and of a quiet tabernacle. After all, this was the example that he had grown up with, right? That's how Eli was. That's what he'd been doing. But Samuel believed in order to please God, he would have to raise the sail. He's going to have to set his course by the coordinates God had given. Samuel believed that faith moves Forward. Faith is movement. And so people are being run over by the Philistines now at this time because of their sin. And God has brought the Philistines because they turned away from God. And he's punishing them with this foreign army. And so Samuel tells the people in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 3, if you are really turning to the Lord with all your hearts, because what do they do when they're, when they're under oppression? Lord, we're coming back. Forgive us. So he says, okay, if you are really turning to the Lord with all your hearts, Then remove from among you the foreign gods and the images of the Ashtoreth. Give your hearts to the Lord and serve only him. Then he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the images of the Ashtoreth, and they served only the Lord. And so they did it. They did it. And Samuel led them in a time of of great national repentance here. And it came at just about the right time, too, because the Philistines mounted another attack. And yet Samuel led the people in trusting God. And the Lord miraculously delivered his people. And so we read in verse 10, as Samuel was offering burnt offerings, the Philistines approached to do battle with Israel. But on that day, the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines and he caused them to panic and they were defeated by Israel. And, you know, there was a time certainly where you could gain fierce loyalty by helping someone out of a dire situation, right? Wasn't, well, okay, no, there wasn't. You never really can gain fierce loyalty from anyone. But there was a time when there was some some payback, you know, for helping someone out. But the thing is, is we have a short-term memory. And what we do remember has short-term impact. What have you done for me lately? And so you'd like to think that the people would now have resolute trust in God because He's delivered them through this battle. And yet... 
This man, Samuel, they would place their trust in him. But people are people, aren't we? We're just people. And so the people began to demand, okay, now we want a king. We want a king like all these other people who are oppressing us, who are fighting us. We want a king like they have, all the other nations around them. And so Samuel appealed to them, you don't need a king. God is your king. Listen to him and follow him. But the people wouldn't hear him. They would not listen. And so Samuel was frustrated because the people weren't getting it. They weren't seeing the big picture that he was painting. And maybe he was wrong. Maybe Samuel was wrong. But see, when faith is propped up by the opinions of others, then all it takes is the right person to say something or do something at the right time. And we begin to doubt our own convictions. When our faith rests on the opinions of others, all it takes is for their opinion to change and our faith now is in jeopardy. Or our disappointment in others wrongly bleeds over into disappointment with God. And so Samuel's faith in God and his decision to obey God was not hyphenated by unless. I have faith in God unless this happens. Samuel's faith in God and his decision to obey was anchored in no matter what. I have faith in God no matter what. No matter what life looks like, no matter what life sounds like, no matter what life feels like, I trust in God. And so God reminds him, do everything the people request of you. For it is not you that they have rejected, but it is me that they have rejected as their king. And just as they have done from the day that I brought them up from Egypt until this very day, they have rejected me and have served other gods. This is what they are also doing to you. So now do as they say, but seriously warn them and make them aware of the policies of the king who will rule over them. You tell them what what the consequences are of this choice they're making. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And this is this hasn't changed. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, his disciples that were worried because they're out preaching the message of Jesus Christ and they're getting run out of town. They're being they're going to be beaten and they're going to be killed because of this message of Christ. And what did he say in John chapter 15 and verse 18? He says, if the world hates you, be aware, understand, recognize and know that it hated me first. It's not about us in living by the words of Christ that people reject. It's about God and about Christ. And so God wants us to know that and be comforted in that. It's not us that is rejected. It is Christ that's rejected. So Samuel warns the people of all the king would do to them and all the freedoms that they're going to lose under this king. God foresees this. He foreknows this. And Samuel tells the people, and they don't care. It makes no difference to them. They want a king anyway. And what a sad disappointment. It must have been for Samuel as he he takes this message of God to the people. Surely now they will listen and they will heed and they will obey and they will follow. But his disappointment was not with God. Disappointment was with them. In fact, even in his disappointment with the people, Samuel remained faithful. He remained faithful to God's direction for him as he spoke and guided and tried to lead the people with God's words. You know how frustrating it is you feel like you're you're talking to a brick wall. You ever had that feeling? There's so many jokes I could descend upon you right now, but I've never had that feeling about you for sure. At least most of you. But Samuel, Samuel encouraged them. No matter what, stay faithful to the Lord. 
And he exhorted them, saying in chapter 12 and verse 22, The Lord will not abandon his people because he wants to uphold his great reputation. The Lord was pleased to make you his own people. And as far as I'm concerned, far be it from me to sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Wow. Think about this. Samuel says, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, I am not going to sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. What do we read in Scripture? Love your enemies. And what? Pray for those who persecute you. I will instruct you in the way that is good and upright. Samuel says, I've got a job to do, and I'm going to speak God's words, and it's up to you. It's your choice, he says, whether or not to obey it. He says, however, fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Just look at the great things He has done for you. But if you continue to do evil, both you and your king will be swept away. And so it seemed as if Samuel's life of, of faith and his life of ministry was often accompanied with these great moments of disappointment, as most of the prophets were. And so not only did the people prove to be a disappointment in their trust in God, but so did the faithfulness of this new king that the people were selecting and were, were appointing. And yet in light of Saul's unfaithfulness, King Saul's unfaithfulness, Samuel stood firm. And think about this. Samuel was raised during a terrible time. He was raised by, most would say, a morally broken man, this high priest Eli. Samuel was discounted by the very people that he was supposed to be guiding. And he had to stand by while the people self-destructed, despite Samuel's God-directed warnings. Would that make you bitter? To go through all of that? rejection and, and, and being forsaken and, and people closing up their ears every step of the way, would that make you bitter about what you were supposed to be doing? I mean, would you question why does it even matter that I'm trying to do the right thing if nobody's listening, if nobody's following, if nobody's paying attention? But Samuel obeyed God in spite of his own reservations, in spite of his own doubts as to, what God seemed to be allowing the people to do. I mean, God, you've, you've sent me to, to, to proclaim this, to, to tell the people about this, and you're still, you're still letting them disobey. They're not listening. How would that make you feel? Doubt is something almost every person experiences at some point. And yet it's something that the church really finds hard to handle. We have a hard time handling doubt. We're not supposed to doubt, Right? God not only gives us the freedom to reject Him, but when you open the Bible and you start thumbing through the pages, He has also given us historical arguments that we can use against Him. Not that they're right. Not that they're true. Not that they'll even hold up. But He at least gives us the words other people have used to reject God. God seems to be rather doubt-tolerant, actually inquisitiveness, questioning, they're inevitable parts of life. So where there is certainty, there's no room for faith. There's this great divide separating belief and unbelief, and it reduces down to one question. Is the visible world around us all there is? And that's where we stand. This, this path of faith leads us between these two great divides. And this question hangs over us. 
is this all there is? And those who are unsure of that answer live in, in the borderlands of faith. They live on the fringes of faith. They wonder whether faith in an unseen world is just wishful thinking. Does faith delude us into seeing a world that doesn't exist? Or does faith reveal the existence of a world that we cannot see without it? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. So Samuel here, in the middle of a dark history of God's people, continued to hope for this deliverance and and, and God's promise. So he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it in Saul because it wasn't there. Samuel couldn't see it in David. He anointed David king of Israel after Saul. And Samuel could not see it in the shepherd boy of Israel. Is this the promise of God? I'm having trouble seeing it. But that is the nature of walking by faith. Walking by faith is living joyfully today as if the promises of tomorrow have already come true. And so God proved to be true and proved true everything that He told Samuel. And the difficulties of the times do not change the promises of God. Samuel realized this. And when we come to walk by faith, we come to realize it too. And so we, like Samuel, are able to remain Useful to God, even in our own dark and difficult days. If we will stay true to God and we have the faith in Him and in His promises, then He will do all that He says that He will do. And what more shall we say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched raging fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness, they became mighty in war, they put foreign armies to light. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They never saw the promise. Yet they lived as if it had already come true. Since God had provided something better for us. For whom? For those who are reading this today. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these who have gone before, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, the joy, count it all joy when you suffer various trials, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Maybe you are weary or faint-hearted today in this walk of faith. Maybe you can't remember what it was like to sail on a calm sea. Maybe you've taken your eyes off of who is truly at the helm of this life. How the whole world is in His hands. That's what sin does. Sin is the weight that so easily encumbers us, so easily weighs us down, so easily makes us stumble. But God offers forgiveness for that sin that we hang on to. All we have to do is confess it. Give it up to God. Repent of that. Repent. Change our mind. Stop thinking the way you were thinking when that sin was in your life. And begin thinking the way of Christ. The light of the world. And God offers His forgiveness freely. But you've got to believe it. You have to believe it. He's given us a whole book full of examples of why we can believe. We look around the world that's been created and the sun in the sky and the leaves on the ground and the worms in the dirt. We understand the mind of God created all of this. And above it all, He created you and He created me in His image. And if you haven't been living in that image, then we'll pray for you this morning. If you are not a child of God, if you've not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of His Spirit, the promise of eternal life, so that you can walk by faith day by day by day, then will you put Christ on in baptism this morning? We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If we can help in any way this morning while we're assembled together, will you come?